1: Thank you very much. Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. Now, there has been talk when it comes to the Brexit negotiations that Theresa May couldn't negotiate her way out of a paper bag. Now, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have respect for anybody who did negotiate their way out of a paper bag. What on earth are you doing negotiating with a paper bag? But you would also have to question why the Prime Minister was in a paper bag in the first place I mean maybe she'd repeatedly said well she wasn't going to enter the paper bag then she thought that actually there was a definite advantage into getting into the paper bag to strengthen her mandate for getting out of the paper bag so she could prove that only her would be strong and stable enough to actually make it out of the paper bag but then actually it proved to be a bloody difficult paper bag And she couldn't, in fact, get out of the paper bag without the help of the DUP, who, in fact, managed to blow the paper bag up. (laughs) Or they have no known contacts with any terrorists whatsoever. (laughs) We heard Andrea Ledstrom, didn't we? We heard her say recently she wanted broadcasters to be more patriotic and not ask difficult questions. (laughs) Now, this is the woman. On her first day at the Ministry of Energy, she turned up. Her first question apparently was, does climate change exist? Now, when you turn up to be a minister at a government department, you would hope that you had some small degree of knowledge on your subject rather than turning up to get a basic education. If you turned up to be minister for the Foreign Office, you wouldn't expect the first question to be, oh, you know they talk about how people fall off the edge of the earth. Does it exist? You wouldn't expect somebody to turn up as Chancellor of the Exchequer on the first and go, "Well, you know, you talk about that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Any chance?" You wouldn't expect somebody to turn up a Minister of Education and go, "Now, what about this Father Christmas? How come I haven't seen him since both my parents died?" If broadcasters are pointing out that Andrea Ledson is not up to the job, they are being patriotic. The only person in the entire country who thinks that Andrea Ledson is up to the job is Andrea Ledson. She looks in a mirror and she goes, Oh, you've got it, you have. And then she goes behind the mirror and goes, Where have I gone? Where have I gone? <laughs> and you may have seen that the Metropolitan Police, and now. Now, as a response to the terrorist threat, they are going to get 2,000 more tasers. What you may not know is that in America, 43 out of 50 states, tasers are legal not just for the police. They are legal for the general public. Now, I'm somewhat ambivalent about the Metropolitan Police getting more tasers, but certainly I'm very grateful that there is no chance of the public in this country getting tasers. Because let's face it, if you had a taser in your back pocket, oh, you'd be tempted, wouldn't you? (laughs) You know, some kid riding his cycle on the pavement bumps into you. Taser. Some bloke jumps the queue in Tesco. Taser. Next door's cat shits in your garden. Zap. God Squad knocking on your door. Nine o'clock Sunday morning. Can you see the light? No, but you're about to. Andrea Ledson on your television screen. Zap. Fuck it, I need a new television. So, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome our guest tonight, Andrea Ledson MP... No, no, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome the MP for Ealing Central and Acton, Rupert Huck, the Observer journalist, Miranda Sawyer, and Canadian stand-up, Glenwell. Thank you very much everybody, welcome along this is, our, this is our slacktivist action group tonight Little waves going on all around there We try and bond early on with, with the audience We try and make a confession so as um, something in an ideal world We would be less slack about So Glenn, maybe if you could kick us off with your, uh, your confession
2: Well, I have, um, I have a child on the way for the first time in my life Thank you very much. That is a
1: muted response from an audience. believe maybe... you me, that is a slacktivist action group standing ovation that is
2: <laughs> about fourteen of you thought that was good news, and the rest of you <laughs> took one look at me and thought, I don't think he's up for it <laughs> I don't think he's cut out for that yeah, I just because i don't I don't know what to do, so now I'm thinking maybe I haven't like prepared enough like I don't there's going to be like a little human looking at me pretty soon going all right what are we doing next and I'll just be like well what do you want to (laughs) do probably some food because I wasn't I wasn't that worried to start things out because my friends told me that I'd have to when I became a new parent I'd have to make some sacrifices but i check with the police, and that is totally illegal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's an interesting start to the slacktivist Action Group. <laughs> I,
2: thought, I thought I'd crowbar a little material in there just to see if they are listening, Andy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> perfectly done, Glenn, perfectly yeah, done. Miranda, was. what would you like to off- offer to the group?
3: Well, I kind of... Um, when I, when you sent the email saying, you're going to think about this uh, for the Slactivist Action Group, I realised that I was slack about a really... A lot, I mean, really quite a lot of things. I hand my work in, and that's, I mean, otherwise I'm quite slack about things. But I've realized that there's something that I am not slack about that I would like to be more slack about, right? So I'm kind of sharing it with the group. And uh, we have a dog. We got a dog in. February she's a puppy I would like to be worse at this actually so I go and I take her for a walk around the park and you have doggy conversations people go oh she's a lovely dog what breed is she and she and we don't know so this leads to quite a long conversation it's like we don't know she thinks she's got a bit of Jack Russell in her don't know and I have conversations like that with everybody so my husband who is a lot grumpier than I am puts his headphones in walks around people talk to me like that and they go and moves on every single person that stops I'm nice to. I really, you know, I have a little doggy conversation, but it takes a really, really, really long time. So basically a walk that would have taken 20 minutes takes about an hour and a half. So I would like to be more slack about that. I would like to kind of encourage my nasty side and maybe train the dog to kind of be a bit more vicious or something so that I don't have to have a conversation with people all the time. And
1: is there any chance that some people, having talked about the dog, Then go, I've seen somebody else walking this dog. They're an incredibly grumpy bastard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Rupert, what would you, can you proffer something for the group?
4: Yeah, I can. And I must say, I was really flattered when I got the email because I thought the other people you normally have are really famous.
1: We are absolutely delighted and we we will be discussing that now, having had a very marginal seat, that you now have a a majority. Can you tell us what your majority is?
4: Oh, it yeah. sounds like boasting, doesn't it? Oh, well, no, let's go for it. 13807
1: I thought... <laughs> worth, <laughs> worth getting a T-shirt with that on, yeah, I should imagine. But are you bringing
2: a child into this world?
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Don't you have a dog? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm honoured to be here. And I thought, am I the only MP still here in recess? In this price range? But no, thank you so much for having me. I'm flattered. So look, what I could be less slack about, I think it's um, timekeeping, really. So I'm kind of variable. So today I was the last one who turned up in the dressing room back there, for example. Yeah, but but, you
1: know, you could see that as busyness, that you had other things to do.
4: Yeah, it's a sign of... And again, I used to always say Asian time, and I think other cultures say this, and they blame it on their culture, so Irish time, I've heard before. Yeah, you've got to be these, also you got me. Who's saying want to of these things, loads <laughs> <of> people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I went to the Ealing Comedy Festival, where I know you've been in previous years. I think I have. yes. Yeah. Not, not,
1: not booked this year. Okay. Not booked this year. But <laughs> yes,
4: yeah. <laughs> Complain to the MP. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. And there was a lad there doing. Jo- uh, he he made the observation that the reason why Theresa May looks so heartless is because at Grenfell. Everyone else came very quickly. So Jeremy Corbyn came the day after. Even the royal family, I think William and... Uh, so who, who was it? Harry and... Uh, yeah, 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 Came the day after. And, and the
1: Queen did as well, didn't and she?
4: Yeah, yeah he, he pointed out that when someone turns up three days after to a community of ethnic minority people, black and Asian people, and they say, what time did you call this? <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> you really boozed...
1: So you, you have been extremely busy. I did notice that yesterday, having been a marginal yourself, now in, in a, the slightly more comfortable surroundings of 13,807, that you were yesterday uh, campaigning in the neighbouring Uxbridge and Ricelip constituency for unseat Boris. This idea that Boris now has a, only a majority of, of 5,000. It would be an amazing thing in some ways if he finally gets his hands on the Conservative leadership holds a general election and then the good people of Uxbridge and Ryslip decide they don't (laughs) want him anymore. (laughs) How did it go yesterday? Yeah,
4: no, it was good fun. I mean, in my first term... So I was elected in 2015 and we took a seat off the Tories. It nearly had a 4,000 majority at the time. And I sort of got in by (sighs) 200-odd. So that 200 has been turned into this very big number. I had to say to Theresa May at the first PMQs when we came back, thanks for coming to Ealing, because my majority went up 50 <laughs> times. <laughs> <Come> again! <laughs> and Boris was there, so I thought I'd return the favour. So, I mean, most of the cabinet came, they thought I was very easy to take out, and it's quite gratifying seeing politicians in saying, we really tried hard to get rid of you, you're still here! Sort of thing. So I went over there, I thought, you know, now I'm emboldened with this big figure. The first two years I only sort of stayed in Ealing and Acton on weekends because I was mindful of the 274 but yeah. Um, yeah you've got to spread the love a bit. Haven't
1: Very you? much so and, and one of the, um, the one of the issues on the doorstep for you HS2, High Speed Rail Link 2 yeah. goes through a little bit of your constituency. So, Some figures released it in the last week or so that it's going to be the most expensive train line ever in Europe first six miles cost something like £1.25 billion a mile, they're suggesting. And, you know, on the doorstep, people were talking very much about jobs, about housing, about schools, about hospitals. Nobody was going, I need to get to Birmingham in quicker than one hour, 24 minutes. You know, yeah. the good people of Birmingham are very happy that London is one hour, 24 minutes away. And If it was two hours away, they wouldn't give a shit. So... What, What are your feelings exactly on on the cost of HS2? I
4: I like the idea of high-speed rail for sort of capacity reasons, but, I mean, it does seem it's over-budget, over... And they're just really rude, the HS2 people. Uh, I mean, I was raising... I was in a meeting with them last week. I raised a street in my constituency that's going to have... 10 years of 24-7 works, and the guy, the chief exec, just said, it should have been bulldozed at the start, which I just thought is... And the thing we were raising with him was lack of empathy of project staff, and he just (laughs) spat that back at us. But, I mean, in Uxbridge, interestingly, we knocked on doors there, so it's interesting to compare the reaction. Nobody mentioned Boris... I mean, he's a very absentee MP. I think he just used that place as a stepping stone to get back into Parliament. So, you know, people think that he's this funny kind of... You know, oh, sorry, I've just shagged your wife by mistake, kind of, you know, and um, excuse me. A, a very uncannily accurate impression, that wasn't it? <laughs> you know, the sort of, you know, and he quotes Socrates and all these other South American footballers, I don't know who. But, you know, actually, he's a bit negligent as an MP because he's never turned up to anything. I don't think he even knows where Oxbridge is on a map.
2: Do, do the politicians from both sides, do you like hang out with each other? Or is it like wrestlers, like when it's not fighting, then everyone's friends? Or, do you, or is it really? But well,
4: you know, yeah, there's some things you can do on a cross-party basis. So committees and things like that, you have to work with the other side to get a resolution. And I found myself on a trip. It's when you go, I haven't been on many of these, but a couple of times if you do a fact-finding mission somewhere. So I, we went, um, I was on the Justice Committee. We went to look at restorative justice in New York and Boston. And there's a Tory MP, same age as me, so we've got the same sense of humour about the same ready-break adverts or whatever when they had the glowing children or right. whatever. And so we really bonded for the whole trip. Five days we were away. And even people said, those two are getting on very well. And then the week after, we were both on opposite sides of a very big room, Westminster Hall, if anyone knows what I'm talking about. And we were both running to each other and she was saying, Rupert! And I was saying her name, unnamed person. And then someone <laughs> said, you know each other. And she said, we slept together. And this was <laughs> mid-Atlantic on a plane in berths <laughs> alongside each other, I have to add. So <laughs> That's sometimes, no excuse. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> There are these sort of bonding things you can have, although on TV it looks like we all hate each other.
1: Yeah. You, you were on TV, on Parliament TV uh, recently. Um, t- they were asking, weren't they, for suggestions, contributions from other parties about what the, the Conservatives should be doing in government, and you suggested you produced the Labour Manifesto and suggested they might want to look at abolishing tuition fees, uh, one of the, the Labour proposals. Now, you used to be a, a university lecturer. Now, tuition fees have been in, I think, since 1998... At the moment, graduates earn far more than non-graduates. The evidence doesn't seem to be that kids from poorer backgrounds are being put off going to university.
4: Oh, I think the latest figs have shown a drop, actually. I mean, the first fees were pretty small. They were a couple of grand, but the fact is they've hiked up. Even Andrew Adonis, the Labour peer, he's kind of switched sides, or he's cross-bench now said that they weren 't meant to saddle everyone with fifty grand of debt from day one you so, miss I mean, I, yeah. is there an argument though, if, given that now.
1: you will make more money as a graduate, is there an argument that to reduce the fees rather than abolish them completely, or is the flip side that if the conservatives have been buying pensioners votes for for you know many many years with the triple lock, then is it fair enough to give something back to the young people uh, I mean, do you, you could, think they should be abolished totally or you, would you Consider some other options.
4: I mean, there's other ways you could do You could do a graduate tax, so you'd take it as a proportion of what they're earning. But, I mean, at the moment, this sort of nine grand uh, and all institutions charge the same it was meant to be just for the elitist ones but because the floodgates are open I don't think it's done in a very w- good way at the moment
3: and also you get people so um, I know you know when you when people start working often they're often they're interns and they don't get paid anything and then they get gradually earn money and they get to a certain point where they've got a choice so basically if they go up above a certain level they have to start paying off their student loan and a lot of people just don't Go above that level because they realise that it's it's just not worth their while. So they stay on a very low wage rather than actually start paying it off because it, be, it becomes too difficult.
1: One of the things that you taught, uh, one of your specialisms, yep. I believe, was youth and pop culture. Indeed, and you you wrote a book. You wrote still
4: available in all good books. Here we go, <laughs> and some bad
1: ones. <laughs> Making sense of suburbia through popular <laughs> culture. Uh, on, that's that's my kind of isn't thing. It? It?
3: Yeah.
4: Well, that's it. well it,
1: Miranda wrote so, a book called Park and
4: Ride
1: <laughs> Adventures in Suburbia which yeah. may also be available from all good bookshops. I'm shops. sure it
4: is. I made sure the House of Commons Library ordered copies of everything I've written, <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> if no one else. But, but you, yeah. you, you were essentially saying that
1: suburbia isn't the boring place that everybody perceives it to be, that there is radicalism there, that punk, in fact started supposedly in the summers, which will come as a surprise to some people. Some people see this, you know, dormitory towns as very boring, but in fact, you get out, if you want to find out what the kids are up to, get out to Surbiton and Cheam, and uh, that's where it's really kicking off. That's
4: where they could afford the instruments, yeah.
1: (laughs) And you grew up in Wilmslow I did
4: Wilmslow is like
3: Essex but up north so it's kind of um, it's like, football. It's like <laughs> Somebody's football excited
1: well. <laughs> yeah. Essex up north my dream yeah. come true yeah. <laughs> yeah. Move up quick. Sounded like that came all the
2: way from the north <laughs> Yeah exactly <laughs>
3: Woo So it's like kind of it's footballers wise territory so it, it's when I grew up, everybody wore, you know, everyone had white stilettos, wore pastel jumpers. It's very nouveau riche, I suppose, really. That was okay when I was younger, but then when I hit the point where I was interested in music, it wasn't, it wasn't so good because nobody was listening to the music I liked, so I went into Manchester. But actually, there's, a, there's an element to it that that I think has changed the country a bit. So if you think about that kind of aspirational, you know, work really hard, make your money, move to a nice house kind of thing, it's very posh and becks, which is, you know, and they lived in that area when they when Beckham was playing for Man United. And the weird thing about it is it's actually taken over our city centres a bit, I think. So what used to happen is that you'd move to the city because it was a bit grubby and a bit scary, so we'd either have something really glamorous or something really mucky about a city. And now if you look at a city, actually it's like a suburban high street. Everything's really clean, it's got kind of Victorian Victorian fake Victorian lampposts mm. on the corner, and the gated community. I yeah, think it's as become well, very suburban, that, yeah. and so weirdly, I reversing. think actually all the people yeah. who wanted all that the city stuff were kind cool of a they in. can't afford it, and b that you know it's yeah. not there, so they move out and you know, they move to Margate. Loads of people I know, young people who can't afford London prices, are moving to Margate or Berlin. You know? That's
2: the weirdest part of it. It's a bunch of rich kids living in a neighbourhood that they've made super expensive that no one else can live there, and then they all. Pretend
1: they're poor. (laughs) It's really odd. Well, it is weird, the the generation thing now, because if you go to festivals, you just come back from the Secret Garden Festival, and looking at the younger generation now, statistically, less sex, less drinking, less drugs than the generation before it. And you see sort of parents, middle-aged parents, with their kids, and the middle-aged parents completely mashed off their tits (laughs) with their kids there drinking water, and the parents looking at the kids going... Where did I go wrong?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: I went so I went to Secret Garden Party which is a really good festival and I was doing I was hosting talks there and one of the talks was should you take your kids to festivals and I had an old friend of mine who's like in his 50s and is kind of of the ilk that you would have said he's worked in the music industry for a really long time he's fond of you know getting trollied a bit and his daughter who is now 18 it was the first festival she'd been to as an adult but she's been to so many festivals like you know countless festivals throughout her life and she's off to study maths At Glasgow, you can imagine, she's kind of like uh, this beautiful, kind of shining, kind of sensible girl with her dad, who's kind of like shaggy and kind of rock, and she was telling tales that when she was uh, younger, there were certain points where she'd come back, basically the parents would give her and her brother like a tenner because they would forget to feed them otherwise, so they were allowed to kind of go and feed themselves, and then they would come back at the end of the night, and they couldn't find their mum and dad and so they're quite young, they were like, I don't know, 12 and they were going around saying, have you seen my mum and dad? And, of course, everyone else was going, oh, my God, are you okay? You know, And they go, no, no, we're worried about them. We don't know where they are. <laughs> we couldn't find them in all the bars. Where are they? That flip thing is quite interesting, yeah. I think. I,
2: I think the current climate has made rebellion really hard because, like, there if you wanted to rebel, you could, like, join ISIS. Like, that's, that's rebellion. So, honestly, like, you could. Uh, so to like now you're like your punk rock's like fuck the world how much just just we're gonna play the songs really fast
1: <laughs> <laughs> again you know the, it, it's an interesting take on the world anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so so in terms of jeremy corbyn obviously yeah. had, had a good campaign i mean it very much um, motivated a lot of young people in your constituency a lot mm. of people knocking on on doors on your behalf He changed over the course of the election. When he first became the leader. Gone now, he's got the nice suits on now. He's listened, the, the vests have gone, the little shorts and the long socks, the sort of the overgrown man boy look has now changed. And he's now says he'll sing the national anthem, very deferential to the Queen. Obviously, the, the newspapers are very keen to make out that he's not deferential, but apparently, which I was unaware, you, if you come across the Queen, you don't have to bow from the waist. It's apparently just a, a little nod from the neck, which is quite a curious thing, isn't it? It's almost like you, you're just nodding off. In their presence and then trying to control it, and that <laughs> that that does. But he, he is he has yeah, changed. He's,
4: he's grown into the role, hasn't he? I mean, there was a question that he asked um, David Cameron, and the answer came back that you should put up your pull up your tie and put a proper suit on. Your mother would be ashamed. Which was not actually the question he was being asked. But <laughs> that's PMQs. There's no proper sort of comeback on. But anyway, I think, uh, yeah, the last time Cameron was in front of the dispatch box, Corbyn did say, can I ask him to thank his mother for fashion advice? Because he said, my mum would be really ashamed of you, Cameron. But But, did he he
3: have media advice? Because I I looked at him as, as, you know, somebody who works in the media. And I thought somebody just told him how to be in front of the cameras. You know, he, just,
4: I mean, he was a backbencher from 1983 until mm. 2015, so I guess when you do that, you're a bit slack You, You know, no one, the public eye is not on you in that way. But, and I think he really grew in this campaign when she didn't do the debates, you know. Yeah. They should have replaced her with a tub of lard. Mm. Didn't Maybe feel, a couple of ears of wheat
1: would have yeah. done a Wasn't good job. It, <laughs> the one? Shouldn't.
4: And then when we came back after the thing, I mean, it really felt like, you know, after the school holidays that you haven't seen everyone for eight weeks, and then you kind of think, hang on, has... Has she shrunk or has he grown? That's exactly what it felt like. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, if you're going to have an election based on a sort of cult of personality, you could choose someone, which the the Theresa May thing was. There's
1: still something wonderfully unspun about Corbyn, though, isn't there? Because, you know, there was that photo after he became leader, he he judged the allotment thing, didn't he? And he had that massive marrow over his shoulder. Any other politician would have known that this was going to, you know, after you know, sort of David Miliband and the banana, or Ed Miliband and the bacon sandwich. But Corbyn, you dare not really give a shit, you know, I've got a massive marrow in, here we go. And even during the election, he had, he was offered a Pringle, wasn't he? And he got some credit for how well he ate the Pringle.
4: Unlike but Ed Miliband, who <laughs> could eat a bacon even, sandwich.
1: Even taking a Pringle from a punter, it is, there is a risk it's involved, a isn't there? You know, in the sense that any other politician would be thinking this might be one of the opposition people, they might have put chilli
4: powder on it, you know, Eryssa paste, whatever. And there he was, quite happy, pick it out, so eat it. The contrast with her was stark, because she was really robotic, wasn't she? Strong and stable, strong out break, break, stamina, Whereas he seemed at least someone who understood people's problems, I think. Very much and so. She, yeah, I, you know, she had no personality, and they based it on a cult of her personality, and she imploded at that moment. But you,
1: you have now, you were obviously part of the shadow cabinet. You, you have now left over the. Am I right? Well, over I wasn't the, quite cabinet rank, so yeah, but
4: you, I was you're, shadow you're front minister. bench. Yeah. I was one of the junior and ones, you,
1: yeah. you, you sort of you wanted to vote in favour of the single single market, so you. You sort of came away from that. We have this debate as to how much the public have learnt since we had the referendum. And but it's not just the public who have learnt stuff since the referendum. You know, we know every day that David Davis is learning stuff. You know, it's
4: making you, it up as they go along. Aren't it, it? It? Well,
1: you, Euratom, yeah. I'd never really heard of Euratom until a couple of weeks ago. But now I've found out that we're leaving it. I'm fucking livid about it. I'll be honest.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it, Ditto but, Customs Union. All those things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. but, but
1: we're all on a learning yeah, curve. Yes.
4: Yeah, we used to be the world's fifth largest economy, we're the sixth. If you try and change your holiday money, it's worth nothing anymore. And we haven't even left yet. So, I mean, I think that's why even they're having trouble filling their leadership, because no one wants to be holding the baby when that happens. It's going to be awful.
1: And w- one thing I found out, about which I didn't know, is that apparently when you were studying for your PhD or whatever, to make a little bit of extra cash, you were a DJ, Apparently, um, Rupert.
4: I know how to push up and down the. You've got decks at partner. home.
1: Apparently, anything from French hip hop to Asian underground. Is that?
4: That's still... me. It's niche, but yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now we we have now. In, this is our twentieth live show for the Slacktivist Action Group. We are intending at some point, maybe when yeah. we've got all the guests we've ever had, we're going to have a big party. Could we tempt you back, yeah, maybe yeah, to I'd do love it? To, yeah. a bit yeah. DJing? Sand clash, yeah. Well, we, we'll get a little cage. We all saw Boris dancing at the Olympics, and so maybe we can put him as the new Bez in the cage for the party, or. Or whatever right, it might yeah. be. And Miranda, your, your pop culture is sort of very much your bag. You started off writing for Smash Hits, it, yeah. and then The Face, then yeah. Select Magazine then time out in, in some yeah. sort of order and you did note I noticed on your website that three out of four of those no longer in Actually, existence
3: all, yeah pretty much I mean in, you know time out is now free but yeah the other ones have just just gone pretty
1: much everything I've written for is gone You know. but you make the point after you yeah, left yeah after I left yeah after <laughs> yeah, you left <laughs> but I mean even with time out with it free now it's basically given out at stations or what have you yeah. and often you see people there you know they think well it's easier to take one and then they just look around for recycling and they just tuck it I know, in there know you'll
3: make me cry the magazine Industry has just died. Yeah.
1: You now work for The Observer, you're the yeah. radio critic. Um, I noticed you, uh, Jeremy Vine Standing, you were having a little listen to those recently. Yeah, so we had Ed Miliband on and yeah. you were quite enjoying good. his toilet flushes. Yeah,
3: it was great. So basically, the, the, for some reason, I don't know why they just, I thought it might be because they were told Radio 2 that they needed more politics on, you know, generally. So, obviously, the, the when Jeremy Vine decided to take two weeks off, they put uh, Ed Miliband on for one week and Ian Duncan Smith on for the other week. So, like, as a radio critic, you're just like, oh, brilliant, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> and, uh, and Ed Miliband was really good. Like, he was properly good. And the reason why he was good was... He was incredibly sincere with all the callers, so the callers would phoned up, phoned up, and one of them, like, was, um, you know, she was a massive Theresa May supporter, and she, she was going, oh well, I just think everyone should give her a chance, and, and so Ed Miliband said something, and she went, that's all right, Doc, any time, because he was so nice to her, like that <laughs> she just really liked him, and anyway, they did this brilliant item, as they call it, about toilet flushing and I mean I could now explain to you the very difference between all the old fashioned toilets with the chain and then the two you know the two button ones that are always quite hard to work like really hard and and people coming on explaining it and you kept getting these people who come in like they go I'm in the toilet now Ed (laughs) and he's go, that's great 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 and he's going could we have an action and then you they flush the toilet and go what oh, this is brilliant and he was just it was hilarious it was absolutely golden radio He was amazing and so i kind of put it in the review and and said you know he was great and then ian duncan smith oh my god <laughs> Top it <up>. wasn't <laughs> he just wasn't any good all the things that you kind of you know, Ed Miliband slightly flummoxed me. He wasn't what I thought he was going to be at all. And unfortunately, Ian Duncan Smith was exactly as you imagine. He was really boring. He has that funny little cough like, <clears throat> like that. He kept talking about the not
1: great for radio. That is no. it. No,
3: <laughs> I mean I was really I thought it was really weird that he was booked. But anyway, and and he kept talking about the army, which was just and Twitter was of course just. Oh, hated know. him all the way I think you know, any
4: MP who's been in the army never lets you forget that yeah exactly and him. it
3: was just a nightmare but Ed Miliband yeah I mean he was super great you know if once they sacked Jeremy Vine for being too expensive they
1: could just like <laughs> pop him in you know yeah I mean I'm, I'm guessing toilet flushes you know he needs to build on that but yeah, you know yeah. definitely it's, it's a starting point <laughs>
3: yeah it was good he did it he groomed a dog live on radio he did pretty much everything they asked him to do he went yeah sure so like he like, literally they had you know good some radio so weird isn't it it's like women's <laughs> <laughs> hour when they go hey we'll bake a cake on radio, you're like, okay, that sounds great. And they had a dog there, and he and he was going. I can't remember what the dog was called, but they gave him one of those little, you know, kind of like razorie things, and he 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 groomed the dog on radio. Yeah, he
2: it sounds, sounds like rep- he, he was doing his chores.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what That's by. why
2: there was a toilet flush. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know that
1: was on. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to the show.
3: They could do a whole new <laughs> one for him, couldn't they? Just Ed Miliband comes around your house, sorts <laughs> everything out. You know, it'd be brilliant.
1: The moment we you we talking about the state of the industry, as it were, but yeah. the, we have a free press, but not necessarily a massively independent press. Mm. At the moment, Ofcom trying to decide whether... Rupert Murdoch should be allowed to take over Sky totally. Yeah. The, they obviously, they, they keep on trying to uh, get away with the the impartiality clause for broadcast media, so as they can do effectively what they've done in the states and take Sky News in the sort of the Fox News direction, as it yeah. were, twenty four hour. Katie Hopkins. Yeah, for uh, a
3: ranting. Yeah.
1: yeah, whether we would actually, as a nation, be keen on twenty-four hour Katie, Katie Hopkins? Given that LBC couldn't even manage two hours a week, Katie mm-hmm. Hopkins, could they? Yeah. Supposedly, yeah. that when she, she left, everybody in the entire office cheered. Yeah. Be, so, why yeah. didn't LBC broadcast that? We we would have loved <laughs> to have seen what that was like. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's, yeah. Those things are interesting. There's, there's a few things that I think obviously that the media have got problems with, and mostly in terms of kind of print media, it's just how you fund it. It's just, it's a massive problem. I work for the Observer, which is part of the Guardian. It's very much hung its. Hat on the idea that you can get everything on the internet for free but it's really difficult because the old economic model was you paid for a newspaper that went into the pot or there was uh, advertising and that went into the pot and that supported the journalists and if both of those have gone it's really really hard and what you notice i've always been freelance so maybe i'm just used to it, it's okay there's a big strand of people in the middle of newspapers that have just gone so you have editors and you have young kind of young people coming up and then you have us freelancers but there's a kind of Massive load of experienced people in the middle have just gone, and that's really sad. And there's another factor that I think will affect the media, which is nothing to do with that, but it's you know kind of as a product of the Leveson inquiry. In terms of investigative journalism, there's a law being brought in which the Tories did say that they would they would get rid of, but now I think they've got other things on their mind. But what it is is that say I do an investigation against a prominent figure. And I've done it all up, you know, it's not my kind of bag, but people would do it and they've got it all, you know, up there and it's on the the front page and stuff. What will happen now if this law uh, is not changed is that the prominent figure can just say, right, I sue you, and then even if they lose, the publisher has to pay. So they're completely done for. You won't be able to, you know, all anyone has to do is say, I'm suing you, and then, nobody, you know, they'll just bring, a, bring newspapers down. So that has to change. But I just think that nobody will notice until it's actually happening.
1: And you mentioned BBC Pay there. It's, uh, it's sort of been a bit of a, mm. a free for all. I, I found it more interesting than I was expecting it to. The, sort of the pay grades fell into sort of three categories for me. First category was sort of, I can't believe they're getting that much. Yeah. Then it was, well, these people are much better than those people. How come they're not getting more? And then it was sort of, I've never heard of these people. Yeah. I can't believe they're getting anything at all.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. It was so fascinating. I mean, I know everybody was really like upset, but I just loved it <laughs> because it's so revealing. You know, I mean, that we don't, you know, we don't like talking a lot about a lot of things in this country. But you know, essentially, sex, death, money those things but we really hate talking about money because in a kind of capitalist society you're judged by how much you earn and it's actually it's more than just judged by you know whether you're doing well it's like it's like a judgment of you as a person so i think that everybody who was not being paid equivalently they felt really hurt you know they they felt like it was a that their bosses didn't love them that they you know that they weren't valued and that i think is very interesting because obviously most of the people who weren't valued were women so it's quite, you know, it wasn't very in, indicative. And, it, you know, people, do, people were very unhappy about it, I think. And, well, that's right, Did but they, it, was,
1: it was interesting, wasn't it? Cause there Because it was, you know, depending, we all presumably looked through the list and there were various people there. We thought, I can't... the believe that they're getting that much. But, I mean, Vanessa Feltz on 400,000 and was... Nikki Campbell on half uh, see, a million. I would,
3: I would kind of stick up with them because they do telly. So Nikki Campbell does quite a bit of telly and that's all put in. And Vanessa Feltz does two shows. So she does a very early show on Radio 2, but she also does L- local Radio London as well. So she does, she's basically not off the radio from kind of about... But, six in the morning to like midday but
1: Emily Maitlis doesn't make yeah, the that's list just mad and then Vanessa Felt is on 400k
3: because it's because she does it all the time I think when people have a, a, a daily show they kind of rack it up much more than you think the things I thought was really terrible is that um, there's a, a radio presenter called Doton Adebayo and he does a, a show and he's had it for 20 years on BBC London and it covers BAME issues right it's two hours on a Sunday night it's a great show he does all the production himself he does all the research himself he gets two hundred and fifty quid a week for that, and I just thought I think yeah, your they, local radio is not as pennies, well paid. Yeah, but
4: that I just thought that is yeah. just rubbish. But is London the greatest city on earth? So that should yeah. That's I just I just, <laughs> local I radio is just
1: rubbish. <laughs> and obviously, you were very happy on on social media. You were very pleased that Doctor Who is a woman. Yeah. Obviously, various accusations that the BBC had only done it to save themselves some money. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but in, in terms of there was various people saying you know I won't be watching they were desperately trying to find people who were saying this largely it seems they'd gone through the Daily Mail comment section to find people Mm, who said you know I won't be watching it anymore but as as we know Daily Mail comment section may well be the Daily Mail staff writing the comment section as well
3: sadly I don't think it is (laughs) (laughs) it's the most read website on earth isn't it yeah I read it you you can read it
1: without making a comment on it though can't you yeah
3: I don't always no (laughs) I I, I
1: once got offered to go on the
2: Alan Titchmarsh show if I would say, take the argument that women aren't funny. Like, it was when that whole yeah. thing was going on. And I was like, whoever said I said that? Yeah. But, yeah, but that goes to show you, like, that's how far it, down it got. Like, I, I'm not on television very often at all.
1: <laughs> is that anything to do with your sacrifice material, Glenn? Or is it. <laughs> No, Andy. <laughs> that, was,
2: okay. that was the stuff I thought was nice.
3: I think that's true. About I mean, a bit like the example you just gave. Basically, they they sometimes trawl to try and find people that say uh, an opposing view, and the Daily Mail really loves that, don't they? So they, you know, found lots of people that said they didn't. They were very unhappy about um, Doctor Who being a woman. But then I saw a kind of data analysis of you know how, how people have reacted and actually it wasn't like half half of the of Dr. Foo fans were saying this is terrible and half were saying it was great like 80 percent of people were going oh it's brilliant There's only like a few people who said they didn't like it so
1: it's just not really worth worrying about and you know? you've written a book out of time about middle-aged crisis have, yep. in terms of uh, you didn't feel you were having a very exciting middle age yes I was disappointed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, in terms of obviously Doctor Who is sort of this is the sort of second coming of Doctor Who, yeah. and you know I won't be watching it. Nothing to do with the fact that new Doctor Who is a woman, but I have better things to do at yeah. six thirty on a Saturday night. Usually trying to get a six-year-old boy into bed, and and, and then
4: maybe opening six. up bottles. you 6 so six-year-old. It's
3: six. He's six. Once he's, old, I watch yeah. it because of my. I have
4: an eleven-year-old, a thirteen-year-old I couldn't watch, I 13-year-old boy. Boy. 13-year-old I yeah, watch yeah,
1: it when so. I was fifteen the first time around. So yeah. I'm not be really <laughs> any good with a six-year-old in tow. No.
3: No, honestly, but also, was, 15-year-old
2: Andy might watch it now. There's yeah. a uh, new doctor in town.
1: Well, <laughs> but the, the thing was, when I have watched it... Put uh, me on TV. Come on, I mean, that was good enough. And nobody got hurt. The, do- the doctor can go anywhere in the universe at any time, can't it? I didn't but know how,
2: this, so somebody's watched it at one point at yeah, some point
1: But later. it's amazing how often the year appears to be 2017 and the place appears to be Cardiff. LAUGHTER <laughs> It, it is surprising. That's sadly what the future's like, Andy. <laughs> well, your future is going to be very different, Glenn. You, you, have, you have a child on the way. I noticed on Twitter you were, you were very keen to uh, point out that you would built your own cot recently. Um, no instructions. And yeah. <laughs> I noticed that it was in a little small room all on its own, the little cot. And I was just checking. You did know for NHS guidelines for the first six months you are supposed to have the kid in the room with you, Glenn. I just wanted to... Of course ju- I know. Who do you think wrote those guidelines?
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I got a second-hand cot, for, like a second-hand IKEA cot, and I was so proud, because I didn't have any instructions, I just eyed it. I said, I can do this. So I put some IKEA stuff together in my time, and I, just, I had all the parts, I laid it out, and I'd sort of piece it together. I spent the whole day, and I made a damn Ikea cot from scratch in so many ways. No instructions. You look at me, you tell me you could make Ikea without instructions. (laughs) And I thought to myself, there I am. I'm going to be a good parent. And then I picked it up and shook it really hard just to make sure that I'd done it right. And I thought, well, maybe some of my instincts aren't great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you... (laughs) Your life is about to change, but you're up, up to the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah, you're, you're doing a show called Viva forever now i haven't forever. seen you for a couple of years um, i was wondering in in the interim whether you'd suddenly developed some sort of god complex or whatever and you were now thinking that you were going to live forever or whether oh, maybe, no. maybe having a kid was part of your attempt to live forever or whether you'd suddenly discovered some sort of liking for dodgy spice girls musicals it's,
2: I, it's got to do with the spice girls but i
1: can't tell oh,
2: you the whole secrets. thing because it's part of the uh, it's part of the overall arc for the story and Andy, every one of these people are clamoring right now to buy tickets for my show. I can see the looks in their <laughs> eyes. They're, they're, well, I mean, hope they, they've been looking at their watches all the way through this in an attempt to get up to a phone to get some of these tickets for my well, show. It, it, the,
1: the Fringe has changed. I haven't done it for a few years, but since I, I've done it, the, the Free Fringe has, has sort of taken off this idea. And loads of comics now playing the Free Fringe mm. and actually making more money from the Free Fringe than they ever did from the the festival yeah Um, because effectively what they're doing is losing less and, and they put the hat round after the show at that point the most they can lose is usually the hat so it's sort of you know yeah
2: well i'm also i'm i'm doubling down this is the first year i've done free fringe i always did ticketed events up there but they just rip you off so badly and then i did a work in progress last year is in a free fringe venue. And over a seven-night run on a half-baked show, I made more than I did the previous year doing a full run. So I thought, all right, I will panhandle after my show is now. Uh, but I'm going full in. I'm going to have my pregnant girlfriend standing beside
1: me. <laughs> Honey, shake the little bag. Yeah. Ikea I cotton, pieces on the floor. It's all going to work out. But at the moment, Canada seems to be doing very well, certainly in comparison wow. to America and, and Britain. You have, you know, Justin Trudeau in charge there, right. a man that seems to be internationally respected. I know. He's there doing one-handed press-ups for the TV. He's, and is, I saw him described as a pilf, like, like a milf, but a politician. And, ah. <laughs> and is, does he do it for you, Glenn? Course <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. He's,
2: uh, I just couldn't, like, he, he saved the European trade deal by going in and speaking the native tongue to the Walloonians. And man, it, like, I'm like, that sounds like Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, no, he's good. He's good. And the country's, uh, the country's very solid, except the parts that are on fire right now. We're trying to put those out. <laughs> but, uh and that that is a uh, that's a uh, that's close to my heart because my parents just uh they they got evacuated uh and now they are able to go back but they had to go down they live in uh, northern british columbia they had to go down into vancouver for a few weeks and they took they live on like a ranch and they they've got a dog that's lived on the ranch its whole life. It's got, like, a little wolf in it. Like, yeah, like, they never even saw this animal defecate for the first few years of its life. (laughs) Like, it just sort of snuck out and would come back, and it had done the deed, you know? Like, and you didn't even realize what was going on until you're like, no one's ever seen that happen before. And then as the dog became more comfortable in its surroundings, you... You, you, yeah, I mean, you didn't get to see it, but you, you'd see it sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but they took it; they had to take it, and it's never left the ranch. It's never left the ranch in its whole life. Uh, it's skitterish in cars, but the world was on fire, so they were able to get it, and they took it down to the cond- condominium in Vancouver, and everybody like there's a there's a dog size rule but they knew it was an evacuee dog, so everybody in the building was like, yeah, we got like a little dog here. And they got his hair all cut, like kind of shorter, so it would be more of a city dog. And it was comfortable in its surroundings to a certain extent until my mother had to take it out into the park, to the little doggy park, to do its business. And she said the dog has never Looked at her the same or with the same when she picked up the dog's poo in a plastic bag. The dog was really concerned for my mother. (laughs) I said, What do you want that for? (laughs) Yeah, so everything's all right, though. The ranch isn't going to burn down.
0: Wow!
1: Nice!
0: Yeah.
1: and we can just tell you what's coming up whilst you're gradually Thinking of your question for the panel, we have a Bank Holiday special coming up. We were at Latitude Festival, so we will have the leader of the uh, the Women's Equality Party, Sophie Walker, is on. We have the director of Reprieve, Maya Foa, and we also have India Night, author and columnist. So that is our August special, and then we are back here last Monday of the month. In September, we have Norman Lamb, the Liberal Democrat MP. In October, we have John O'Farrell, and we also have the co-leader of the Green Party, Jonathan Bartley. And then, hopefully... A man who is, as we speak, uh, completing his honeymoon after the snap election. Currently on his stag do. We'll have Clive Lewis in November. And then in December, we have Lucy Powell for our Christmas special. So please come along to that. Anybody listening on the podcast, um, feel free to get in contact on andyparsons.co.uk. So hands up anybody who's got a question for any of our guests. Um, If anybody's got one, that would be great. Lovely. There's a lady down here who's got a hand up.
4: I am slightly embarrassed about asking this, but I heard that Jeremy Corbyn actually commented on this, so I wondered what the panel thought, um, what action should be taken about Love Island. As somebody who hasn't
1: watched a single episode, (laughs) I'll pass that on to others. Rupert, what is your take on Love Island?
4: Yeah, I have to say, I've never seen it either. However, I mean, I think nowadays we've got so much more bandwidth for all these things. So when I was a kid, there were three channels until 1982, and then Channel 4 came. So, I mean, if it was that sort of era, I might feel cheated that Love Island was monopolising a lot of airtime. But given the large number of channels we have, I say live and let live, and uh, I'm all for it. And what, what exactly did Jeremy
1: Corbyn say about Love Island? I'm intrigued now.
4: He was asked who he thought might win. So, and I think he had a, quite a, a very good answer. I think he wanted Marcel and Gabby to win. So I think ah, that was. He, so he, 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 he knew what he was talking he about. He obviously had some very good advice, I think. Yeah, right.
1: he, he's moved on since the allotment days, hasn't yeah. he? Definitely.
4: Because <laughs> in 1997, that election, I think all the leaders were asked at the beginning who's your favourite Spice Girl? At the beginning, none of them knew what the question meant, but by the end, they'd all had some coaching and they could all say whichever one. The Northern <laughs> it's one, it's a the step up from that how much is a pint of milk, isn't <laughs> it, basically? That's what. Yeah.
1: Miranda, is it not radio, not your thing? or
3: uh, What, the, the Love Island? Yeah. I, I have to say, I haven't watched it, but the people I know who have watched it have kind of binge watched it and really love it. And the main thing that they tell me is that, you know, the, the people who've watched it are kind of my age and they're like, the thing that's really amazing is they just, you know, they just don't care. So, like, all the stuff that you think that the people would be, you know, I suppose if you signed up to Love Island, maybe you're kind of an exhibitionist, but there's absolutely no kind of inhibition about sex at all. And that, on one level, I think is amazing, you know, because a lot of people who watch it are young, and it's all about, you know, everybody just talks quite openly about their emotions, and they're quite open about kind of shagging. On one level, I think that's really brilliant, because that's not really what we're known for, British people. Glenn, any comments? I don't I
1: don't know. No, I don't.
3: (laughs) But I want to know. Actually, I I, would like to know from you. And British people
2: do have a reputation for being slutty abroad.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They're just not talking about it. What
1: do you think I'm doing here? (laughs) Let let us see if we can get one more question in before we need to wrap up. Okay, Uh, for the panel, if you lovely, is it Ian Duncan Smith? I recognise the.
4: (laughs) even in this uh,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you had one piece of advice for donald trump what would it be um, well I- improve your handshake would be my <laughs> advice i mean i don't know if you saw the one with macron but it, it, it went on for about five minutes didn't it all that sort of toing and throwing nonsense it there is no way that that should be an international handshake that was more like some sort of chuckle brothers sketch that was isn't it <laughs> Your advice, anybody would like to...
3: Well, I don't want... Obviously, I'd quite like to see him go, so I would just say carry on as you're doing, you know, because it's... the, The main thing that's quite weird about Donald Trump is I think that once he's gone, we'll look back at what he actually achieved, and I think it will be really little, like nothing's really happened. You know, there's a lot of kind of furore, a lot about tweets, but everything he tries to do is just, it's stopped because he can't do it because it's illegal. So I actually think that he'll be there for a while. We'll all hate him. It's quite nice to have a hate figure and then something will happen afterwards. But I think genuinely he won't, he won't achieve very much at all. And obviously, he's reducing women's access to contraception and abortion. And I obviously, I'm anti that. But I genuinely think by the end of it, I don't think he'll be here for that long. He won't have achieved quite as much as he had hoped. Anyway, that's why I hope. Glenn, is a Canadian, what,
1: what's your take on it? I think we'll
2: miss him when he's gone.
3: But how... Nah,
2: is no, in that sort of way. Like, everybody's sort of focused on the one evil and then... Once he fucks off, we'll be like, oh, now, who else do I hate? <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be because, we, yeah, we've all had one thing to go after right now. So, yeah, in that, in that sense, um, you'll miss him.
1: Well, thank you very much. We, we need to wrap up now. Um, if you are listening on the podcast, then uh, please subscribe. Basically, it's one click very slacktivist thing to do it means that the the episodes go straight into your inbox you don't have to do anything else so uh, if you get a chance that if you've got loads of energy then you can rate and review as well that would be lovely we always encourage people to try and do one thing between the shows maybe it's a chance for the summer to people to step back maybe have a think about exactly what is going on with britain at the moment maybe a chance for us all to read those european treaties so as when david davis comes back from his holiday he will have some notes to talk about to the Europeans and maybe also for the summer people always worry about what they look like some people worried that they want to look younger having plastic surgery, that is not the slacktivist thing and we wouldn't advise that if you want to look younger, our advice of course would be to stand next to old people ok, <laughs> it's natural it's cheap and old people love the company so <laughs> as I say, thank you very much a big round of applause for our three guests tonight please <clears throat> Rupert Hutt Miranda Sawyer, Glenmore. Thank you for coming. Hopefully see you again soon. Thank you very much. Good night.